Coming up on today's show, we're going to pull back the curtain and look what happens on Isla Nubar in our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But don't worry, there's not going to be any spoilers for our American audience. We're also going to dive into what is absolute nonsense or pure Nicolas Cage. And also we're going to dive into all the news and traders that dropped this week. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It's the podcast that saw Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and thought, wait a minute, what about Site B? Anyway, let's not talk about Plan B. I've got my A guy with me, John Descamento. How are you doing, pal? Um, amazing. Had some car troubles this week, but you know, that's, that's, that's all good. Loved the podcast last week, by the way. Uh, I was just guest reviewer, but you and Jamie did a, an amazing job. It's more fun to listen. I always like listening to the podcast when I'm not on them because it's surprising, you know. Is it like watching someone else drive your car? Or making love to my wife. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) That's a joke, of course. Do not make love to my wife, listeners. (laughs) <laughs> over the weekend um it's kind of filmy um there was a a football tournament um on sunday in the uk we have this thing called soccer aid it's basically where a bunch of ex-celebrities uh impersonate being a professional sportsman for a day and they they basically become a footballer and they they form an england team versus a team against the rest of the world who are also ex-celebrities combined with ex-professional footballers now this is usually for most pop stars, basically, to raise their profile. But, you know, it's in the name of charity as well, so that's quite good. Um, in the 88th minute, guess who came on for the rest of the world? 88th. I actually really wanted to see this, but I uh, I missed it. So who was it? It was Hagen Christensen, as in Anakin Skywalker, who has done pretty much nothing for the last 15 years of note. But it turns out he's a massive UNICEF ambassador. But here's what here's what makes it quite funny is that he's obviously never played football in his life or, or very, like, not much. <laughs> and he came on in the 88th minute because he was going to take a penalty at Old Trafford. And, um, yeah, it, unfortunately it showed um, that he might be good at wielding a lightsaber but not particularly good at kicking a football. I heard Neil of Inbetweeners fame got the winning penalty, though. He did, he did. Um, yeah, he, he, he came on as well for England at the kind of last minute and done it. But um, I was kind of disappointed because last year they got Woody Harrelson um, to oh, come yeah. and do an appearance. <laughs> and, like, they clearly sold it to him on the thing of, look, mate, you get to come out in front of Old Trafford and, and you know, play football. And, again, he, although he was, wasn't as bad as Hayden Christensen, he obviously, uh, it's, let's just say football doesn't come as high to him as acting. So, yeah, it was kind of a, a shambles to watch who from was, that perspective. Who was the celebrity that was like, oh, they're actually not a terrible footballer? Oh, Usain Bolt. Oh, of course. He's actually trying to get a deal, though, with United, isn't he? Like, this He's is trying to get a deal anywhere. Yeah, true. When you're fastest man in the world, that kind of qualifies you for most sports, to be fair. I'd sign him surely just for the shirt sales. It's a business decision. Just, you don't have to play him. You just get him to come on when you're five new up. Run down the wing. Sell oh, some shirts. There we go. Shall we? Shall we kick on with news? 
See what I've done there? News. Cool. So, Ryan Gosling, uh, obviously, big name. Had a really good year last year with uh, with Blade Runner, not to mention other successes like La La Land and just being a general household name. Um, he is, he's kind of epitomised the modern uh, hunk in films, right? A lot of women always say he's no Ryan Gosling and everything else. Anyway, um, apart from bit making girls go gooey-eyed, he has been cast in the trade well actually the trailer dropped for it as well but he was cast as neil armstrong in a biopic called the first man and the trailer drops um the other day um it's quite interesting i think yeah it's, uh, it'll be great to get jamie the other podcaster on this is viewing this he's a man of science but um i don't know what to make of this trailer so far what do you what do you think john well this is a sort of film that's tailor-made for me because i love space stuff especially uh real life space sort of stories so i'm already sold but it does kind of reek of the sort of film it's like they're trying to make it a lot more uh action and maybe a lot more going on than that actually was obviously it's amazing they went to the moon blah 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 but they're it seems like they're gonna have to embellish some some of the uh half truths to make it into a, a really kind of sellable film but i'm i'm open to it i like ryan gosling's choices he always seems to uh make some interesting calls and yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to this one i prefer ryan gosling movies where he doesn't actually get that much dialogue because he can't i don't know why but i think he's he's really at his best when there's a limitation to his character or whether that's a character flaw or or just the fact is he's an android or something like that right and um i don't know i just i don't ever imagine neil armstrong ever really being ryan gosling so it's kind of weird but that being said um it's been a long time since we've had a really good grounded space movie. Um, I think probably the last one that I really, really enjoyed, which wasn't particularly grounded, but still a very good film, was The Martian. But if you think about films like Apollo 13, where it really sort of played on the heartstrings of the human uh, drive to, to better oneself, better our race, and, and in the face of all odds, get the job done. And I hope it pulls on those sort of strings rather than try and make it, like you say, a fabricated story where that didn't necessarily happen that way or it was kind of just not very reflective of the truth yeah i agree it's a slightly strange casting as ryan gosling he does play those offbeat characters better doesn't he he plays those interesting characters and neil armstrong by all accounts is an amazing human being but obviously by his very nature he has to be like really sensible uh on you know very uh low-key kind of character so it's interesting it'll be interesting to see what ryan gosling does um i'm sure he'll add some layers and yeah so looking forward to this one eddie murphy guy who kind of was one of the biggest actors on the planet not too long ago um obviously kind of dropped off after the allegations of his personal life he then kind of went away for a bit obviously we we do know him in in roles we hold dear as axel foley or donkey in shrek or or, or tons of other amazing roles as well but um he's been partnering with Netflix and he's going to play uh, star Rudley Ray Moore. You might know him from a TV show called Dolmite. Um, basically, it's going to be a film set in the 70s about pimps, hoes and everything in between. And I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued on this one. Yeah, I think it's an interest. I was reading about the guy it's based on and this dude just sounds nuts. Like he's part, he was a preacher. He was involved in 
he was a lot of pimps and hoes as you said and his life just sounds absolutely manic and i think eddie murphy what a good comeback it might be for him um i saw a film with him in a few years ago and it was absolutely awful it was one of the worst movies so i would love to see him back to his best but i, I won't hold my breath but this character sounds right down the street and Fingers crossed. We reported on this a while back. John La- uh, Larister, you may have heard of him. He is a big deal in the world of Disney. He is one of the head guys at Pixar. He has been there since day one. He has helped bring us films like Toy Story, the Cars movies, uh, A Bug's Life. He worked on Monsters, Inc. In fact, he's been a producer on most big films. In fact, even Disney's animation slate of most modern films, think about your your Frozens, your Moanas, your Big Hero 6. John Lannister has been a big part of this um he was uh, outed uh, for lack of a better word by the me too campaign and he was put on indefinite suspension um earlier on in the year and disney have come out and announced that he will be parting ways with the company at the end of the year um, this is one of those things that we've talked about before where it's, it's quite easy to name and shame the people that we don't like and aren't responsible for things that we we hold dear but this is a time where we need to call out the people that we do hold dear and he should be treated in the exact same way as as anyone else under those accusations. So it is a crying shame that a mind behind some of the most beautiful creative stories we've seen in modern times unfortunately does have a a shady side to him Uh, but hopefully due process will happen this is going to be a real interesting time for disney and pixar because as mentioned the last film he had his fingerprints on actually was coco which we reviewed earlier on this year five stars we gave it one of our film of the year contenders and obviously he's an amazing storyteller and what does that mean how does disney and pixar fill that gap no excuse for what he's done or how he's behaved not condoning that whatsoever but i'm interested to see what the next steps are at disney and pixar yeah well said so speaking about uh, tv shows let's go to there for a bit so hbo uh, owners of game of thrones they've come out and ordered a pilot to the prequel season which is going to be set a thousand years before game of thrones obviously this is a response to a the popularity of game of thrones duh but also so Amazon investing nearly half a billion dollars in creating their own fantasy TV show by acquiring the rights to the Lord of the Rings story. Prequel time, yeah. So, I mean, prequels never excite me by their very nature because it's something that's happened you know the ending to, right? Um, and it always feels like milking it somewhat. It's like, oh, we've got this amazing product, let's milk it some more. So I, ca- I can't get too excited about this, to be honest. How are you feeling? If they go, they're going a thousand years back, right? So hopefully we're not going to be in prequel territory of, oh, there's a Khaleesi being appointed or, ah, oh, that's interesting how that family met that family or, I don't know, there's Ned Stark's great-great-grandfather. Like, I, if they've got some interesting stories to tell, and apparently they do, apparently there is tons of scripture and spin-off books which have been in the works for a long time, not with the view of making TV shows. So it means that they're actually, you know, they come from a creative place rather than a, a monetized place. So I'm going to hold off judgment. I think it's going to be doomed to fail to an extent because I think next year when the final season of Game of Thrones comes out, that will be the most televised event on the planet. And I think it's probably going to be the most watched uh, TV show ever. I think box sets will will set new records of people who haven't seen Game of Thrones catching up with, find out what all the fuss is about. So it's a very high bar. Is it George Martin? 
is is George R. R. Martin? Um, has he written it? Yes, yes. He he's co-wrote this with the current showrunner uh, showrunner for Game of Thrones. So there, it's very much in the the vein of the same people making the stuff. So you know, we know they produce a good show. Um, I think this is the same vein of when Better Call Saul came out uh, a few years after Breaking Bad. It was kind of the prequel show that no one wanted. And it took a good two or three seasons before it, it became the TV show that it wanted to be uh, in its own right. A great show with some great talent with some really interesting thoughts um, behind that. But it took a bit of time for that to settle and digest because a lot of people were hoping for more Breaking Bad. And that's not what, what Better Call Soul is. Yes, there's some nuggets of bits you see in there. And obviously, you know, it starts off with what happens to Soul after Breaking Bad, but it is very much its own TV show in its own right. And, you know, spin-off TV shows, they they always take a while. Fear the Walking Dead, that's only really started gathering pace now after it managed to shake off the shackles of its of its predecessor. I think it's just these shackles are going to be very, very heavy on this TV show. Mm. Well, I will reserve judgment and, you know, enter it with an open mind. Well, people who aren't open-minded, unfortunately, have been all over social media over the last week. So, Kelly Marie Tran, um, she played Rose in Star Wars The Last Jedi. She has removed herself from all social media due to trolls that have been sending her abuse, just vile, horrible shit, really. And I'm I'm generally gutted for it. Anyone who, who's got a problem with this actress, you really need to understand how films are made. Um, she does not control the story. She does not control what happened to Luke Skywalker. She does not control anything other than how she portrays the lines that she is given. And she is told by a director what to do. That is why the title was called Director. They direct that person. She does what she does. She does the best she can do with the script that is given to her. Now, I personally think she's actually done a good job. Um, I don't necessarily like the character too much. But then again... You know what? The entire Star Wars universe wasn't written just for me. It was actually written for a generation of people. And whether you like it or not, there's a generation of people that like this film. So, yes, you can, by all means, don't like this film. By all means, don't like her character. But the fact that people have been giving her so much abuse, it's just it's just horrible, really. And, you know, regardless of what people think, just because you've been in a Star Wars film does not mean you're a made millionaire. Like, she's got to go work. She's got to go earn her money still right so she needs to to go into that next job and not have the confident shattering uh potential that can happen from this sort of stuff so i totally get why she's been removed why she's removed herself from social media but what's been quite charming is that there's been loads of campaigns to her to but yeah outside of social media whether it be through personal deliveries or tv messages or radio space that's been bought in her local area to tell her Actually, she is loved and that people really did appreciate her performance. So there's always in adversity and, and horrible stuff and people doing shitty things. There's always that chance for people to do something nice. So mm. there is a nice part of this. Yeah, it always boggles my mind when people take it out on someone like that, when there are clearly more uh, deserving people of abuse online. <coughs> Nigel Farage or, you know, many other politicians, <laughs> please aim your vile and abuse at them if you have to get it out somewhere. Nah, exactly. Right, shall we throw some abuse at trailers? <laughs> yes, let's talk. 
Okay, so over the last week, there has been literally a shit megaton of trailers that have dropped over the last few days. Um, I'm just going to go through some of them quickly and just talk about our, like, sort of my initial reaction, maybe Gage John, so he has had a chance to, to see it. We'll tweet out the links to them because there are some really interesting ones in here. I'm going to start off with one which is probably going to perpetuate anyone who has never kind of got the concept of multiverses or, or the comic book movie ad- adaptations that are coming out at the moment. So um, obviously we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing really, really well with their their uh, super, uh, sorry Spider-Man movies as well as the, the MCU timeline in itself. Now, Sony have partnered with Sony Animation Studios and Marvel to create a computer-generated movie called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Not linked to the MCU whatsoever. Think of it as a what-if there was a parallel dimension and there was another Spider-Man and he was learning how to become Spider-Man. This is bringing to us for the first time in a movie setting we physically see him anyway, Miles Morales, um, a black Hispanic Spider-Man, which is kind of cool. And it's introducing us to all the various and crazy concepts through the various comics that have come out from this. The animation looks stunning. It is blending together so many different types of animation all on one screen. And the trailer dropped for that. The music sounds incredible. The voice talent is spectacular. I think at one point, um, Donald Glover was actually linked to voice the character, but he ended up dropping out for other commitments. But the, it just it looks so interesting. John, have you seen this yet? Yeah, I um, am not inspired by Spider-Man movies, <laughs> but I will say that the animation of this totally drawn me in. I, I, it's beautiful to look at, and it genuinely looks very original. Uh, so I recommend having a look at this. And yeah, I really appreciated that it was a young sort of black Hispanic Spider-Man, something slightly different in a different kind of neighbourhood. And so I'm I'm open to this one. I'm really glad... It's not another uh, typical run-of-the-mill Spider-Man movie. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with this one. Yeah, I'll tell you something that I wasn't too impressed with, though. Um, I don't even know why this film is still coming out. So, in, at Christmas... At Christmas, sorry. When we get to Christmas, there will be another Transformers movie out. In fact, this is the only one slated to actually be released. Um, even though, after the last Transformers movie, they set up this whole expanded universe and hired lots of expensive writers and and announced all these different films and due to the popularity or should i say the the mauling the last one got they kind of held back on that um, but this film was in production already at that point so this is a a prequel movie called bumblebee and um, it's got john cena in and um, which to be fair he's actually quite a good actor i think i've seen him and he's actually been really really good so i do think there's he's kind of on a trajectory of becoming a massive movie star um, but I've got to be honest, this trailer looks quite poor. There's quite an interest. I mean, we were kind of sold this concept that, oh, no, no, it's not going to be set in modern times. It's going to be set in, like, World War One or or maybe even before that, and it's going to be really, really interesting, and it's going to be a real different take on the Transformers for law. It looks like it's set only a few years before the first Transformers film. It's still kind of modern times. Um, the only difference is the protagonist is a woman, and that it's basically just regurgitating the same stuff. So I'm... I'm not really sold, to be honest. No, I mean, if if you want a VW Beetle-based character movie, then I would go with Herbie Rides Again from <laughs> the 70s, which is unbelievable. Herbie 
you grow to love the love him. He doesn't have to turn into a human with his little doughy eyes like this robot in Bumblebee. So um, no, yeah, not very inspired by it. I I fear it would. It's probably going to be about two and a half hours long, isn't it? And just be a relentless barrage of Transformer action CGI nonsense. There's one scene which makes me laugh, and the internet does what the internet does. There's a, a scene where Bumblebee and the 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 lady—I don't even say her name. Like they basically just—they like, might as well just call her protagonist who discovers Bumblebee and becomes Bumblebee's owner. They're, they <laughs> they end up in a lake or the ocean or something, and they're they're swimming around each other. And people have compared this to the the final scenes in The Shape of Water, and they go, "Oh, is cinema ready for the first Transformer human relationship?" Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to hurt. I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, <laughs> each to their own. So, saying that, in the Solo movie, they imply that Lando Carizian is uh, having a, a relationship with his droid, but they've, they've come out and kind of said that Lando is pansexual, and to be honest, like how smooth he is and like how he flirts with everything, I generally believe Lando Carizian fucks everything, so that don't surprise <laughs> me. But um, another trailer that dropped, we talked about it only last week actually when they announced the title to it, the Lego Movie 2, the second part. The trailer dropped for it uh, very, very quickly. It's like they've got, obviously they've got a a marketing plan and a schedule they want to keep to. Um, I was a bit disappointed with this one. I really loved the Lego Movie. I thought it was a breath of fresh air. Um, It kind of reignited the world's love for the the brick um, if it needed it. And it just it brought us some new franchises as well. The Lego Batman movie was great. Um, Lego, Nin- uh, Lego Ninjara was was okay, but uh, it yeah you know, it was passable. Um, but I was a bit disappointed with this trailer. It felt like Chris Pratt's character, um, the you know the generic guy, he kind of become the bumbling idiot, and I don't really get the story to it. But then again, it's only a trailer, and it's only meant to be a kids' film, right? It's still got Lord and Miller writing it, and. Um, they managed to still find time to pen that, even though they were they were obviously heavily involved in Solo for so long. Uh, John, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, I like the title, the second part. Um, I think it's honest. It's simple. It's straight to the point. Um, I haven't seen the trailer yet, <laughs> but I do like the first one. So I, I, I don't know. I think I reserve judgment. Hopefully it's not just a, just a sequel. Um, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely huge regardless, though. Yeah, I think one of the things which made it a real surprise package was, A, obviously, the love for the storytelling and the product. They've done an amazing job with that. But also, it was those kind of, you know, I mentioned it earlier in this podcast, the nostalgia bullets that come at you through various different ways, whether it was showing you classic Lego pieces or classic TV shows or films. Basically, everything that Warner Brothers had under their arc of, of licensing, they were able to utilise. And now they've, they've, they've showed their hand, they've lifted their skirt. We know what they've already got. So, so how else do they, they progress this story? And yeah, I'll hold off. But at the moment, it's kind of, I'm kind of like meh after seeing that trailer. But I'll tell you what trailer I wasn't meh after seeing. Halloween, it is back. Jamie Lee Curtis is fulfilling the role. They're kind of forgetting everything after Halloween 2. So Halloween H2O and all that sort of stuff didn't happen um, in their eyes. And this is uh, hopefully a return to form. This actually scared the crap out of me. What did you think? Yeah, a really spooky, cool trailer. Um, it's, you know, horror trailers... It's hard, isn't it? You don't want to give away too much. It's hard to kind of nail the horror trailer to try and condense it because you can't really build up the suspense like you can in a comedy movie or so. So, but yeah, this very intriguing. I think with you, it's been long enough. I think it'll be. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. 
I love the the way they position this to be very much less supernatural, less less weird, and just basically they've given Mike Myers a face. Literally, they give him his face in the trailer. You see that, but also you see Jamie Lee Curtis, and her character has kind of progressed. She's obviously lived her life. She's had a family, but. At the same time, she's lived in this shadow of of her brother all this entire time, and she's been preparing for this. Um, if yeah, it's almost like she's been preparing for a long time for something to to come and attack her. I don't know if she's been preparing in other films to do that. I like Terminator, but um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see this. I think it's going to be a return to form, and it'll it'll sunset the franchise. I want it to end the franchise. I don't want this to be like a oh, it's back, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis introduces the next generation. No, I want this to, to finish off the cycle and give it the justice it deserves. Yeah, too right. So, yeah, that's your news for this week. I know why we're here. A rescue op. Save the dinosaurs from the island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Jurassic World came out in 2015 and I think it's fair to say that although it's got a load of love I don't think anyone would have realised or predicted it would have come to the success that it did do it grossed over a billion dollars it brought back to us a beloved franchise it took us back to a beloved place in Costa Rica where the impossible happened and we made the dinosaurs live again it showed us that Chris Pratt is more than one trick pony and that Colin Trevorrow is an amazing director he was handpicked by Steven Spielberg to carry on this legacy and it paid off this film was a very much self-contained movie but i think it's fair to say that due to success a sequel was inevitable shortly after announcing jurassic world 2 colin trevorrow was handpicked to be on the next star wars movie and he had to handpick his successor he handpicked a spanish director called jay Boyega, who's actually worked on films with gamino del toro but also has his own screen credits by films like the impossible and the orphanage um, but it's also fair to say that this would be a massive step up Jurassic World The Fallen Kingdom takes place three years after the events of Jurassic World. Now we're not going to go into too much spoiler territory on this podcast for a couple of reasons. One, I think this film actually warrants a podcast special so we probably will do one of those in the near future. But also this film doesn't come out for another two weeks in North America. The reason why this film's come out so early in Europe and only Europe is for one reason the world cup they were so scared that people wouldn't go to the cinema during the next two weeks due to the football that they bought this film home early has football ever impacted film that much i did not know that that's fascinating but i guess (laughs) it makes sense but it's very rare that we get something before america so too bloody right (laughs) i'll enjoy this one so anyway, this film is set three years after the events of Jurassic World. Um, the island, Isla Nubar, or however you want to pronounce it, um, is going through a catastrophic event. Um, very, very soon the volcano will erupt, killing off all the species of dinosaurs on the island. Now, if you think about the original Jurassic Park film, there's a core moral story here at the essence, which is, should we intervene with what nature has already decided? Nature decided, as as Jeff Goldblum put it, the dinosaurs had their turn and nature decided their time was up. Obviously, Jurassic Park was a phenomenal movie and it asked some of those questions. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom tries to play upon those lines a little bit more. So knowing that these dinosaurs will become extinct, do we intervene? Now, I'm not going to spoil anything more than what you've seen in the trailers. There is a reason why Chris Pratt and um, Dallas end up going back to the the island. 
there is a reason why they leave the island and the events that you see in the trailer are quite obvious what happens the volcano erupts and that yes there is a a leveling event killing most of the dinosaurs on that island now some dinosaurs do get off i'm not going to go into the reason as to why but as you see in the trailers they end up going to a place where not so nice people are running the organization i'm trying to trying to weave that line between telling you too much but also sort of confirming what you've already seen through various forms of media and cast wise obviously it's a return to form for chris pratt on this what i find interesting about this film though is that it kind of tries to go into a different direction in terms of tone so if you think about the first jurassic world film that was very much about nostalgia it's very much based on the concept of this is what jurassic park would have been if it was successful if the event didn't happen, what would Jurassic Park be like? That's how you kind of get to the place where you're in Jurassic World, where a company has purchased all the assets, made it safe, and inevitably what happens, happens, the park gets loose. There's only so many times you can keep playing those beats. And getting people back to those islands, how would you, after someone's been through an event like that, how would you convince them to, to go back to that island? Well, in the second and third film, you either blackmail them or you trick them, and they follow a very similar trope in this movie. But I'm going to compare this film to The Last Jedi. Nothing to do in terms of the quality of the story. I, I think Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom does a sterling job. But what Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom does is it's trying to set the bigger picture for the franchise. It's trying to say, right, these films are no longer just going to be about going to an island, some people die, and the mission is getting off the island. Because there's only so many times you can tell that story. We want to open it up to a new generation, a new world of people. So, And it tries to touch into a different genre. This film is half traditional dinosaur movie of going to an island, discovering some things, trying to escape and people dying. And it's combined with a haunted house movie. A caper where people are trapped in a small building and they need to escape from a vicious uh, thing that is going after them. And it's an interesting switch in that tone. And I think the first part of the film suffers for that. I think Chris Pratt doesn't necessarily get the real moments to shine, those sort of moments of dialogue that we really love to hear in those sort of films. Did you get that, John? I absolutely did. Chris Pratt seems uh, kind of wasted in this to me because we've seen him in Guardians of the Galaxy and Parks and Rec, my favourite, and he's one of the most charismatic and funny dudes with some serious comedy chops. And it's like they're trying to turn him into the rock in this. And he's doing all the cliche action movie lines and, and that smouldering sort of look with the eyebrow. And for me, it's kind of wasted. I wanted to see him a little bit more lighthearted. But, um, I mean, yeah, he's got all hunky and, and a little bit bland in this movie, in my opinion. I don't... I think that's probably the direction the film wanted to go. I think... Um, you're right, they probably did remove some of the, the Chris Prattness about him. He does have some moments to shine, but they're, they're few and far between compared to usual performances. Um, I do think that the, that was all a sacrifice made for the direction of the tone. You can't have like these heart-racing, um, tension, almost beautiful in terms of the cinematography scenes constantly be undercut by someone like Chris Pratt um, cracking wise. So I kind of understand why they've done it, but his performance definitely suffers as a result of it. And I do, I do have to give props though. This is a beautiful film. There's about 10 different moments where you just look at what's happening on screen and you go, 
this is beautiful. There is so many homages to the original, not so much Jurassic World. They'll see that it's in the world of Jurassic World in terms of they go to the same place, but there's so many little things that it plays off of from Jurassic Park. You can tell the director really loved this film. So the first time you see a dinosaur on this on the island again is very, very similar to the first time you see a dinosaur in Jurassic Park. It's the same species, it's it's discovering it in its natural habitat, just doing what it does, foraging. And it was very calm, very beautiful scene. There's another scene actually where if you think about Jurassic Park as a film, the the key plot point involves them going to a centre where there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the middle of it and the most memorable scene in that that whole part is actually in the kitchen where the velociraptors are, are breaking in. They try and mimic that and try and pay homage to that in scenes later on um, in the second half of this film where they're basically escaping or trying to hide in, in various parts of this house. And there's almost a scene that's almost recreated beat for beat in terms of, you know, the, the one I'm talking about when the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park goes after the girl and she's hiding in the cupboard. They do something really similar in Fallen Kingdom. You can see there's a lot of love and attention that's gone into this. They want to be compared far more to Jurassic Park then The Lost World. But unfortunately, there will be inevitable comparisons. One, it's the sequel. Two, they go back to the islands to try and cultivate some animals. Three, it goes off the island. So there's going to be those comparisons. Even Jeff Goldblum's in it. But I don't think it's any spoiler to say that what you see in the trailer is what you get in the film. That's quite <laughs> disappointing. Yeah, we were worried about that. We actually talked about that. But uh, it's kind of, they've got him in for the start and the end. And but he has some I mean he has some great lines um, and it's great to have him as a sort of homage to that but I agree the movie looks stunning like there wasn't one moment where I thought oh that doesn't look quite real or I'm not fooled you know as is the case with some of these movies particularly when you need to put so many computerized beasts in but it looks absolutely stunning so amazing and yeah like you said it almost verges on a horror movie at times in a really good way like the haunted house aspect uh with a little girl and there's some of the set pieces in that house were absolutely amazing i thought for this the second half of the movie was much better so don't dismay if after half an hour you're a little bit disappointed because it will get better <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, it almost feels like, and this is why I give its comparison to The Last Jedi in terms of a new director has been given the keys to tell the second part of a story. They've been given a framework by a previous director. And although I think the relationship between uh, the director of Fallen Kingdom and Colin Trevorrow is very, very strong, um, and there's far less moments where they literally throw away story points. But um, yes, there is like they literally take the concept of, oh, it's just going to be another island movie and they blow it up in favour of going for this more close, intense, almost verging on horror style for the second half of this film. Now, Colin Trevorrow was actually brought back in as a producer to help the director on this, not because the director was failing or there was any bad cuts in the movie or anything like that. It was actually because he got fired from his Star Wars project and he come back sort of tail between his legs and, and asked if he could help out. And I think that does help the overall narrative. There is going to be a third Jurassic World movie, which we, we talked about a few weeks back. And it does feel like this film is trying to build up to a the next iteration. What does the next world look like um, after these events? Now that dinosaurs are, are very much among uh, very much among us, so it's an interesting direction to go with. And the reason why I keep bringing this comparison to the Last Jedi is that 
I don't know if people are going to be happy with it. I don't know if people are going to embrace these new decisions that have been made for the better of the franchise, not necessarily the betterment of this one movie. So I think it's going to be far better well received. It's making a ton of money already. It's made like 150 million. Bear in mind, it's not even been released in America yet. So that's quite cool. What was your What was your actual take, John? Did you enjoy this film? I enjoyed, as I made reference to, like the first half. It's one of those action movies where there's. I felt like there were so many near misses. I was not convinced that anything bad was going to happen. And obviously, I'm not going to spoil anything. But uh, you know, when a film starts to feel like it's taking the the piss, to coin a phrase, but. I have to admit, I really started to enjoy it halfway through and I was totally immersed. And it's a long movie, right? But it did fly by. Uh, there were some really funny political sort of references that I really enjoyed, in particular relating to Trump. That was quite clear. Um, they were quite, quite enjoyable. And, um, yeah, I thought it was a real interesting take. Um, is, it, is there a criticism that it's... a, a the similar two similar storyline to the uh jurassic park world would you say uh no I, it does go off its own tangent like i think it really does try to acknowledge yes okay obviously there is a film where dinosaurs come off the island as well and obviously there's a film where the reason why they go there is for very similar reasons but um it does it very much creates its own path i think it is very very bold in the decisions it makes and i applaud it for that and um, they obviously really embrace the creativity here steven spielberg has given his thumbs up to this he has seen it and said yes you've honored my legacy so that's always a glowing endorsement and um, i really enjoyed it It took me a minute to digest everything that was going on especially the ending the pace of this film is very relentless it keeps going and going and going and um, I think that's just a symptom of the times right yeah I mean I can see if I'm a young a young lad and I'm watching this I can imagine having a similar feelings to what I had when I first watched Jurassic Park and I think you can't really uh, say more than that can you I mean that's what it's for I think in a lot of ways so it's for a new generation, and um, and it was still enjoyable for me. But I mean, did you do you agree with my criticism that it felt a bit safe? Like, did you ever really? Did you feel like there was too many near misses? It it kind of it was uh, a tiny bit frustrating. First half was basically a superhero film, really. You know, no one could get hurt, really. Um, there were some new characters introduced who who done a who done a good job, I thought. But um, yeah, I agree with you from that perspective. The film really came into its own work, own part, really, in the in the second half, where it kind of lost the shackles of being a typical Jurassic movie. That's right. Yeah. Did you enjoy the uh, Trump references? Were they? Do you think they were clear enough that that every <laughs> that America's going to I can see America getting a little bit funny about this, actually, when it comes out. There's my Crick's prediction that um, this is going to cause a little bit of a hoo-ha. Just, you know, liberal Hollywood elite mocking sort of Trump. Or do you think it was uh, sort of subtle enough that it won't get picked up commercially so much. I think I think he'll get picked up, but I just don't. I don't think it'll. I don't think he'll care, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I do. Yeah, it obviously, is quite a few bits here about climate change and how we approach um, the real big discussions we should have about intervention where uh, where help is needed, really. But um, 
I loved the. I just loved all the messages in this. Really, I really enjoyed the cast. I thought Bruce Dallas Howard done an amazing job as she does in pretty much everything I've seen her in. And introduced us a couple of new interesting characters. Uh, there was a guy who's got a really interesting name, Justice Smith. Uh, he played Franklin. He was the the sort of nerdy, uh, the nerdy teenager guy there. Um, yeah, I thought bit of comic relief. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There was uh, Daniela Pinenda who played the. Uh, the assistant who was looking after uh, Blue for a little bit as well, so she was quite cool. B.D. Wong was back in it as Henry Wu. Um, this guy has been in so many Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies, yet he seems to get very little screen time. Yeah, he's a fundamental character to the, the Jurassic Park lore. He doesn't really get too much time in this, neither. Interesting Toby Jones pops up in it. So let's let's give this a score, John. What's your, what's your take for this? I think... I I mean, this was a two and a half to three after half an hour, but I think I definitely raised it up to a three and a half by the by the end of the movie. Uh, I don't know if I can give it a, a four, but I think this is going to do well. I, I'm edging towards four. The reason why is because I think the bold direction this film tries to go into, um, it, it's, that's to be applauded. Um I do think, though, the shackles of the expectations of the first film and the tone shift made the made it feel a bit weird. It only became the film it really wanted to be halfway through, and uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you. So let's 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 meet in the middle and say three point seven five. I think we might need a new rating system soon. We've had a couple three point seven fives. Maybe, maybe. If you've got an idea for a better rating, get in contact at Talk Filming to me. <laughs> So last week, listening to the podcast, absolutely loved the new game, Cage or Nonsense, where we take a Nick Cage film, you describe the plot, and I have to guess whether it's a real Nick Cage film or you're just making up nonsense. Um, So I can't wait to see what you've got for me, Flinty. Cage or Nonsense? I'm like a prickly pear. That's right. That is right. Get the fuck out of my way. Hi, I need to read all this. I don't have a prescription. I'd like to take his his face. You're like a cat. Oh, and uh, throw in a couple martinis while you're at it. All you have to do! Cage or Nonsense, the game where I read you Nicolas Cage synopsises and you tell me whether it's genuine Cage or genuine nonsense. The guy's been in 89 films. It's fair to say some of them are classics. It's also fair to say some of them are complete cray. So, John, are you ready? Have you been doing any prep for this? Yep, I've uh, read every one of his movies. Um, No, I haven't. (laughs) But I figure there's 90 movies. That means we've got three movies a podcast. We can do this 30 times. Definitely won't get sick of this one. This is a good good one. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's go. Film one. Ben Sandelson, a Hollywood screenwriter who lost everything because of his alcoholism, arrives in Las Vegas to drink himself to death. There, he meets he meets and forms an uneasy friendship with a non-interfering pact with prostitute Sarah. I think that's a oh. Uh... I think that's nonsense. Ben Sandelson says that sounds like a name you made up. Well, that's a genuine Nicolas Cage movie, John. It's called Leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> Damn. This is going to be like Connect the Dots. I'm just going to do terribly, aren't I? <laughs> Film two. An Alaska state trooper partners with a young woman who escapes the clutches of a serial killer, Robert Hansen, to bring the murderer to justice. This is based on actual events. True. 
Yes, you are correct. This is Cage. The film's called Frozen Ground. So I should say Cage rather than True, shouldn't I? Yeah, Cage or Nonsense. The clue's in the name. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Film three. Father Jacob Godson has a crisis of faith when a long-presumed dead child appears at his parish doorstep after nearly a decade of being missing. The boy has little memory, but claims to have been abducted by aliens, loosely based on true stories. Nonsense! Yes, you got it. Yeah, it's absolute nonsense. <laughs> Father Jacob Godson would probably would have so been there. Do you make them? Did you make that one up, or did you just find another film and read I, that? I, I, I make them up. I make them up. You make them up. Nonsense. Yeah, Flinty. Someone's going to take these ideas and run with them and make millions of pounds. You got to be careful who's listening here. Well, this is where screenwriters go to get their ideas. I assume so. Right, film four, <laughs> final one. When a devastating illness threatens to end Evan Luke's career in the CIA, he goes rogue to hunt down a terrorist who he tortured into a mission gone away years ago. Um, I think that's Cage. You are correct. That is Cage, Dying Light. What a comeback. Three out of four. I'm Not pretty bad. pleased with that. You should be pleased with yourself on that. So there we go. Three out of four. You can tell Cage or nonsense. Oh, and uh, throw in a couple martinis while you're at it. All you have to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, any button, what it means that you get more content from Talk Filmy to me. I just want to take a moment to thank all the people that's been tweeting, retweeting and commenting and sending us messages. We'll probably do something with some of the feedback we've been getting and maybe do a bit more interactive stuff with that in the future, but but watch this space. Uh, I also want to take the moment to thank John. People, people? John, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Descamento on Twitter. Cool. Next week, we'll be back with a feature, a streaming jam. We're going to do some pretty cool stuff. There'll be some new jingles. Till next time. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.